Hello, and welcome to the podcast devoted to helping you win the race Christ has marked out for you. Mother Teresa once made a startling statement about war and peace in our world. She said the greatest destroyer of peace today is abortion, because it is a war against the child. And if we accept that a mother can kill even her own child, how can we tell other people not to kill one another? As men who are created to protect our families and to exercise dominion over the culture, how can we best persuade the rising generation and those who surround us to protect human life by ending abortion? This episode gives some practical suggestions. Thanks for joining us today for Season 3, Episode number 2 of Mission Focus Men for Christ. My name is Gary Yeagle. Today we begin a new five-week series to become like some of King David's mighty men of valor who were described as, quote, men who had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. These men joined other supporters of David's kingship. A few verses later, we read, All these men of war, arrayed in battle order, came to Hebron with a whole heart to make David king over all Israel. Well, our nation needs men of valor who understand the times that there is a war going on in our culture, a battle for God's truth, who are committed to David's son, King Jesus, as he spreads his kingdom of righteousness over the planet. This battle is not against flesh and blood, and it is worth repeating that our enemy is not the one holding anti-biblical views. Rather, the one espousing mistaken views is being held captive by our mutual enemies, Satan and sin, who have blinded their minds. Although their understanding is darkened by their sinful nature, we also know that as those made in God's image, the moral law of God is written on their heart. So no matter what they say outwardly, their inner conscience is our hidden ally as we seek to wisely point others to truth. The battle to protect our wives, kids, and others from destructive lies is fought in the world of ideas. Not only does 2 Corinthians 10.4 describe this spiritual warfare using four words that have to do with thinking correctly, arguments, opinion, knowledge, thought, Paul's more familiar description of spiritual warfare in Ephesians 6 also stresses thinking accurately. For example, the belt of truth is the very first weapon mentioned. The breastplate of righteousness refers to the right way to shape culture. The shield of faith is believing what is true about God's nature, despite circumstances. The sword of the Spirit, God's Word, is of course truth itself. The spiritual battle we are called to wage is over worldview, because the way humans live is determined by our worldview. Whether we realize it or not, our worldview understanding shapes our actions and interactions with others in everyday life. 
This idea of worldview consists of our deeply held beliefs about God, morality, man's purpose, and the nature of reality. Because worldviews shape every aspect of life, Christ followers are called to compete in the world of ideas to win others over to God's revealed wisdom about life. That is, in fact, our creation mandate to exercise dominion. Just as God intended his image bearers to bring life to the world by ruling over it as he would, he intends redeemed humans to join his work in bringing new life to the world. As we seek through common grace to win others over to the biblical worldview, some key verses from Proverbs give wisdom about how to do so. Proverbs 12:18. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Proverbs 16:24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 15.2. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable. In fact, the Hebrew word means good, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. Proverbs 16.21. The wise of heart is called discerning, and sweetness of speech increases persuasiveness. Proverbs 16.23. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. This episode examines the biblical worldview concerning the unborn. It is based on the creation truth that every human has inestimable worth as one made in God's image. Let's first look at this biblical truth and then at the arguments we hear about the unborn. From its earliest days, Christianity has stood for the dignity of every human being and for equality of worth before God, in sharp contrast to most pre-Western cultures. In Christ, Paul says, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female. This emphasis on moral and spiritual equality led Christians to be the first people anywhere in the world to pass laws against slavery. Despite Christianity's black eye when it came to American Southerners, slavery was condemned as a sin by Thomas Aquinas, it was condemned by four popes, and ended in Britain only after a 25-year campaign by evangelical Christians, among them William Wilberforce. Martin Luther King Jr. based his call to justice on natural law theory dating at least as far back as Aquinas. In the words of authors Sunshine and Paget, King's letter from Birmingham jail is based on just these arguments, anchored in the Christian tradition that recognized both our equality and intrinsic dignity and the importance of an objective moral foundation for law. They continue with more history. In an era in which infanticide was mandated by law for the handicapped and allowed under any circumstances, Christians saved babies from death, bringing them into their own households, and petitioned the government to end this legalized murder. 
Similarly, following the Jews, they also opposed abortion, since it was the taking of a human life made in the image of God. In Western culture in general, the logic of our creation in the image of God led eventually to the idea of universal human rights. This was a uniquely Western concept built on theories of unalienable rights developed by medieval Christian theologians. No other culture, religion, or civilization has advanced a comparable idea because none have a worldview foundation for it. Even honest atheists like Jurgen Habermas point out that the modern secular ideas about human rights have their origins in the Judeo-Christian tradition. And yet, with all the emphasis on human equality and individual rights in our culture, here is a tragic fact about abortion. The number of its victims is historically unprecedented. Nazi concentration camps hosted the extermination of 7 million people, Communist and other totalitarian regimes in the 20th century massacred 100 million in various gulags and death camps. The Black Death Plague of the 14th century may have killed 200 million people. Add all these together, then double the number, then double it again and you approach the number of innocent children exterminated in the past century by abortion. These words from John Stonestreet and Warren Smith. They continue explaining abortion's history this past century. The Soviets first legalized abortion in 1919. Nazi Germany followed in 1935. The United States legalized it in 1973. China's one-child policy, only recently and slightly modified, is mostly responsible for the 13 million abortions that take place there each year. Nearly 60 million unborn children have been aborted in the United States alone since 1973's Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision. So how can we winsomely argue to protect life? Here's a series of questions each of us might be asked with some thoughts about what a winsome, persuasive response might look like. First, what do you think about the court's decision? If the subject comes up and you can step into the conversation, I personally believe the starting place should be grace. I am pro-life. I believe the baby in the womb needs to be protected. But more importantly, I'm pro-forgiveness. My faith, Christianity, offers forgiveness to every woman who has had an abortion and later regretted it, and every man who has pushed his girlfriend, daughter, or wife into an abortion and wishes he hadn't. Every one of us has made decisions that we regretted afterwards, especially choices we made in our youth. Many, many Christians have had abortions or pushed someone into one. The offer of Christ to all who ask for it is full and complete forgiveness. Jesus' cry from the cross was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they are doing. If God forgives those who put his son on the cross, he can forgive abortion, and he does. Second, what about the argument to have an abortion is a woman's private choice about her body? 
When you hear this argument, you might want to ask, do you think the right to your own body is absolute? Does a husband have the right to put his hand in the space occupied by his wife's face? When a human is angry, does he have the right to wrap his hands around a gun and squeeze the trigger in whatever direction he chooses to point the gun? Does an angry mother have the right to squeeze her hands around her child's windpipe, choking her to death? Does a man have the right to use his body to rape a woman? The right to do what I want with my body is limited. I have no right to make decisions about my body that injure others. Claiming that abortion is a woman's private choice completely ignores the rights of the unborn. No one would ever cite privacy as a good reason to kill toddlers or teenagers or adults. When this argument is made, it might be helpful to say, you know, I actually agree with you. You are right that an abortion is a private choice between a woman and her doctor. You are right that the government should stay out of her private decisions. You are right that pro-lifers should not question her private choices if the unborn are not human beings. Pro-lifers agree that women should be allowed to make a lot of private choices, but killing an innocent human being is not one of them. Third, how do we respond to the argument pro-lifers just want to force their religious views on everyone else? They don't really have a good reason to oppose abortion. Well, first, you might state the case against abortion. Here is the logical case. Premise number one. It is wrong to intentionally kill an innocent human being. Premise number two, abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being. Therefore, conclusion, abortion is wrong. Now, if you state this case, you will likely hear the argument that an unborn fetus is not a human person. Keep in mind, however, that this is not an argument. It is an unproven assertion. So you might ask, well, what traits make a human person? They might answer, well, self-consciousness. To which the logical question is, does that mean an unconscious person is not a human person? They might say, the ability to live outside the womb on his own makes him a human person. To which the logical response is, does that mean the elderly woman who needs a caregiver is not a human person? As the conversation continues, you might point out that the science of embryology establishes that from the earliest stages of development, you and I were distinct, living, and whole human beings. Embryos are not part of a human being like a liver or heart. Embryos are separate, distinct beings, whole, living members of the human family who have simply not yet matured. Differences in size, level of development, and degree of dependency don't make them less human. Though less developed and more dependent than an adult, no one believes a two-year-old is less human than an adult, or his life less valuable. They are simply at two different stages of development. And a part of a woman's body, like a liver or heart, unlike her baby, doesn't develop into a distinct, whole human being as an embryo does. Science proves an embryo is way more than a body part like a liver or a heart. 
Also, we may need to lovingly help another see that dismissing this argument because it is religious is very different from refuting it. Arguments are either true or false, valid or invalid. Calling an argument religious is a way to dodge the argument when one can't refute it. Pro-lifers aren't imposing their religious views any more than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. imposed his religious views on America when he rooted his teaching in biblical values. Rather than imposing, we are proposing a more just and better way in the hope that we can persuade our fellow citizens to protect the most vulnerable in our society. Fourth, how do we respond to the argument, if you ban abortion, women will be forced into back-alley abortions that are medically unsafe? One response to this argument is to ask, which do you think is a greater good in society, saving the lives of innocent, defenseless babies or helping adult women avoid bad health care? Any woman losing her life in a botched abortion is too many. But the historic fact is that in the 1960s, just prior to the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision, Mary Calderon, Planned Parenthood's own medical doctor, said that the death rate from illegal abortion was so low it was not worth worrying about. Why? Because 90% of abortions were performed by doctors in good standing in their communities, not back-alley butchers with coat hangers. We must help others stop and think about this argument. It is saying that because some people die as they attempt to kill an innocent human being through abortion, the state should make this killing process safer and legal. That sounds brutal, but so is the taking of innocent human life through abortion. Finally, what do you say if you hear the statement, I don't like abortion, but I don't think it should be illegal. We shouldn't use the federal government to impose our religious beliefs on others. In response, we might ask, what would you say to one who says, I don't like slavery, but I don't think it should be illegal. Or, I personally am opposed to rape, but I don't think it should be illegal. Or, if you don't like spousal abuse, then don't beat your spouse but there shouldn't be a law against it. Anyone who would say these things is failing to grasp that slavery, rape, and spousal abuse are wrong. Slavery, rape, and abuse are not wrong because people generally grew to dislike them. They are wrong because they treat a human being as an object or piece of property to be used or discarded. Whether one personally likes slavery, sexual assault, or spousal abuse is beside the point. They are wrong. We wouldn't say slavery, rape, and spousal abuse are right for you, but not for me. Laws are designed to limit those things that are wrong. If abortion doesn't intentionally kill a human being, then no one should care about reducing the number of abortions. However, if abortion does intentionally kill an innocent human being, that is all the reason necessary to support laws against it. Suppose a politician justifies racial discrimination by saying that although he is personally opposed to discrimination and hopes that it will be reduced, it would be wrong to impose his views on anyone who disagrees. Any politician who said that would be run out of office 
and rightly so. In fact, any society that merely reduced racial discrimination without taking steps to prevent whites from treating blacks unjustly would be a deeply immoral society. In the same way, if abortion is a moral wrong that victimizes members of society, the laws should oppose it. Many of these ideas about winsomely arguing to protect life come from the Colson Center's online video series, What Would You Say?, which I highly recommend. As I mentioned last week, America's special forces are known for their intense training and preparation ahead of their mission. May the men of Christ Church similarly give time and thought to preparing how we might speak winsomely and persuasively into discussions about abortion that will be coming our way in the weeks ahead. And may this podcast help them in this preparation. To summarize this episode, as King David's mighty men of valor understood their times and embraced David's kingship over all of Israel, the men of today's church need to be mighty men of valor who embrace our calling from King Jesus to spread his righteousness over earth. Believing that we were created for this cultural moment means getting equipped to understand the biblical worldview concerning the worth and dignity of every human being. The biblical truth that every single human being is of inestimable worth and dignity because he has been made in the image of God has radically transformed human history, and it is the basis for the Christian's pro-life position today. Instead of making a pro-life stand by speaking rashly like the thrust of a sword, We want to compete in the world of ideas with the sweetness that adds persuasiveness to our lips. We made five points about this persuasiveness. Point one is that our response to the topic of abortion should be, in my view, that of grace. Compassion for those who have had abortions and the offer of God's wholehearted forgiveness for those who made this decision. Point two, when someone brings up the it's my private decision because it's my body argument, pro-lifers agree that women should be allowed to make a lot of private choices, but killing an innocent human being is not one of them. The science of embryology shows that the baby inside its mom is more than a body part like the liver or heart. Their liver and hearts don't grow into human persons. In contrast, the human embryo exists on a continuum of development to becoming a full, separate human being. Point number three, calling an argument religious is a way to dodge the argument when one can't refute it. Pro-lifers aren't imposing their religious views any more than Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. imposed his religious views on America. Point four, the back alley argument is refuted by saying, which is a greater evil to be opposed in the culture? Defenseless human babies being killed or adult women choosing bad health care? The fifth point is that the statement, I don't like abortion, but I don't think it should be illegal, fails to grasp that abortion is the intentional killing of an innocent human being. No one would say, I don't like rape personally, but I don't think it should be illegal. 
For further prayerful thought, number one, how can you train to remember how to phrase wise, persuasive arguments when abortion and the pro-life movement come up in discussions around you? See your show notes for additional questions. Today's podcast, as all podcasts are, is available in printed format on my website, forgingbonds.org. Also on this homepage is a link to an index of past podcast series and episodes that you might want to listen to when you have a chunk of free time. This index link is also in the show notes of every podcast. Next week's message as we continue our series, Helping Christian Men Build a Biblical Worldview Like David's Men of Valor. The message title is Thinking Biblically About Critical Race Theory. God designed men to be protectors. The threat that we face in this cultural moment is not a group of marauding bandits, but the ideas that are invading our homes, churches, and nation. We have no choice but to try to think biblically about what is being said about race, equality, and the cause of economic injustice in our culture. Thanks for listening today. If you are finding these podcasts beneficial, please think about how you can help us in our mission to build up every Christian man into Christ through this weekly podcast, which he can listen to as he commutes or works out.